first of all, Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome back to Quadcast. As usual, it's me, Brandon. I'm joined by... Marty Pono. Um, happiness this year, everyone. And hope you have a prosperous year. And that is why Wato.0 is the geek in the team. What in the world is happiness? Come on. Okay, for the people who have no idea what so, that means. So my concept is, you know, yes, it is a new year. But um, all I'm just saying is, you know, focus on being happy and seeking your own internal happiness and success, all of that stuff. That's why I say happiness this year rather than happy new year. Oh, well, today we have a few interesting topics. Of course, it's a new year. Yes. A lot of people have new year resolution, which I don't do because I just believe you have a goal, you have a plan, you execute, you're good. Mm. And for some of you, one of those goals or plan might to learn something new this year. So it could be learning how to sew, maybe get your driver's license, aka Brandon. Also might be picking up programming or anything related to our field. So today we are going to share with you, you know, some either tools, advice, materials that you can look at in different areas that can help you to learn those things. And you can learn them and, you know, execute your quote-unquote New Year's resolution. By the way, if anyone is still doing lose weight as New Year's resolution, I know this is coming across as harsh and I'm bitter. <laughs> I don't think that should be a New Year's resolution anymore. Put it as a lifestyle and let <laughs> gym people make their money some other way. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's true. Everyone wants to, you know, healthy living for the New Year. You, everyone signs up for the gym. Yeah. They are off spike. You pay for three months. You don't go in the fourth month, but you're still paying for another six months. Yeah. You give them one. You, you're basically giving them money for free. I get what you're saying. You know, I understand. So based on what you're saying, rather than setting new resolutions, which I don't do anymore, I think it's best to create habits or routines that people, um, you know, will stick to. Because habits and routine are long-term. You know, it takes 21 days to, you know, form a habit. And I think like 90 days or something to form a routine. So I think people should focus more on, you know, creating habits and routine because they're more long-term. And we all know that New Year's resolutions don't tend to last. So I agree with you on that. Yeah. But I just want to know why you said they should stick to the trainers who are making their money. What does that mean? No, as in don't suddenly go pay for a gym membership oh, okay. because your New Year's sense. resolution is to lose weight. So let them make their money some other way. than spiking up their pay in January and then you now leave that pay and direct debit for the whole 12 months and you yeah, went to the true. total of I, I 12 times. Mm. Value... And money is not worth it. So yeah, that's what I mean. Guys, I'm just being bitter because I was one of those people. But yeah, let's let's get back to the podcast. And I will let so yeah, I'll let Wild Two Point start um, us off. You know, as we all know, this is the time of the year, you know, when people want to learn new things, people wanna develop their career, people wanna go into new things and just learn new skill sets. So because of that, we decided to dedicate this podcast into talking about, you know, learning resources for learning to program and you know ui and ux you know these are courses that we have used ourselves we have tested ourselves and which you know i still use myself and we still use ourselves basically and we thought it'd be helpful because we know this is the time and also i believe that you know in the new year people should always set new goals whether that's to learn or to or to become better and learning a new course is a good way to do that so to start off i'm gonna because i'm more of the programming and design side but Right now, I'm focusing on programming. So I'm going to give you um, some learning resource tips and sort of courses I do online that I use online 
that you guys can use too. And Brandon will sort of talk about the UI and UX. So to start off with, I'm going to, you know, start off with three courses. You know, it's better to start off with the free stuff. So for learning to code, um, free courses, obviously everyone should know this. The number one for me is YouTube. YouTube is a great resource, and I'm sure Brandon can testify to this as well. YouTube is a great resource for um, finding free courses for programming. Some of the channels I like are Dev Tips. You know, Dev Tips is for the web designers. People want to learn web design. A Google employee that talks about, you know, how to program in HTML, CSS, and really like his, his videos. It's really effective and it's really good. Um, another guy I would say you should check out for more of Java. I use this guy more for Java and for more like hardcore programming is a guy, it's a YouTube channel called The New Boston. And I'm sure... Pause. <laughs> I just want to give a honorable shout out to The New Boston. Thank 100%. You my dad yeah. had to find you when I was looking for tutorials. Yes, I appreciate definitely. you. Your work didn't go unnoticed. <laughs> Did you say I you still hate Java? But your work didn't go unnoticed. <laughs> yeah. Although, although this year, I am looking to come back to programming, and I can't <laughs> believe these words are coming out of my mouth. Mm. But I would have to go refresh my memory on Java and pick up one of the mm -hmm. um, languages for web development aspects. <laughs> Neither can I, but that's good. Out of my mouth. Um, yeah, so, you know, like Brandon said, shout out to Bucky. Bucky's one of the guys that got myself, Brandon, um, E123. They will testify to Bucky. He saved us during our, our time at um, university where we had to, our university was focused on learning Java. So Bucky was a, was a great resource. So the new Boston, that's the name of his YouTube channel. You know, some people give him some stick for not being too, you know, professional, too standardized. That might be an issue for, for some people, but, you know, the whole point is understanding the foundations and moving on to the next level. So I'll definitely take my hats off to Bucky for creating that new Boston uh, YouTube channel. Another YouTube channel I used primarily for Java and for understanding OOP principles was a guy called Derek Bannis. Derek Banners is like, he has the same intro every time. like, hello, everybody. But um, his uh, videos are very easy to understand. And I use Derek Banners for mainly learning OOP principles in Java. And I think I looked at him once for, um, I think, app development, if I do remember. Android app development. But yeah, check out Derek Banners. And the last one I would suggest, which is a guy I'm currently watching right now, is a guy called Travis C. Media. He's got great content on different programming languages from, you know, JavaScript to, you know, the, the new frameworks. And yeah, these are the four resources I would recommend for free. And also we're going to link all these resources in our description for this podcast. So don't worry about writing this down. Another resource I'll talk about is Free Code Camp. Free Code Camp are really good. I re actually really like Free Code Camp. The reason why I like free code camp better than most of these free resources is the fact that once you've learned something they ask you to build something they they push you and challenge you to use what you've learned to build something and i think that's where the key skill of learning a programming language is is knowing how you could use it in real life to build something that's actually going to be useful and free code camp does that another thing that i like about free code camp is like that they have a great community 
online, on YouTube, you know, the people in the community release articles on Medium and various platforms. So it's a big community. If you're ever stuck, they even have sort of like a Slack channel you can enter questions into and you'll get an answer from someone, definitely. And another thing I really like about Free Code Camp is that they have this thing called um, 100 Days of Code, where they challenge people to at least code for 100 days. And I think that's really good because, you know, hopefully for many people, once you get past 100 days, you reach a plateau whereby you can basically, you know, code more than 100 days and continue programming forever. So once again, free code camp is another free resource. And now I'm going to be talking more about paid resources. But do note that these paid resources do have free resources as well. So Code Academy, like right now, I'm currently brushing up on my JavaScript, as I mentioned in our previous podcast for last year. Um, so I'm using Code Academy for this. And since I've finished the free version, I'm currently working on the pro version. So far, I'm liking what I see. Each section has a, a task or a project you must do, such as build a calculator or build a meal maker, etc. Something that challenges you and allows you to use what you've just learned and put it into practice. And also after that, it's backed up with quizzes. And I really like Code Academy for that. And they have a, a plethora of languages you can learn from JavaScript, HTML to data languages, SQL, new frameworks like React, Angular, whatever it is, you name it. Moving on to the last paid resource who also have some free courses is um, Treehouse. Treehouse is really good as well. They do have some free content, but um, I prefer their paid content. I feel like there's more quality in that one. I used Treehouse in the past for Android development and they were really good. And, you know, some people, some of my friends would ask me, like, how can you pay for content when you've got, you know, free resources online? Sometimes I've used so many of these free resources and I realized that the paid one, if you can, many of them have better quality. They challenge you more. You understand the concepts. They've taken their time to help you understand. Um, but for some people, that might just be betterly done with a free content. So it depends the type of person you are. And if you have the money, of course, as a student, I didn't have the money. I'll speak for myself. Most of us didn't have the money. So we hopped onto YouTube and, you know, we, we scrambled for good content out there. So now that we do have, you know, money, we sort of like, you know, upgraded to the next level and used the paid content, which is really good. But I'm not going to lie. I've been a fan of paid content since day one. Just a quick question. So it's not just my voice. What's your talk on paid content? How do you feel about that, Brandon? The way I look at paid content is that when you mm. pay for these things, you, it shows your level of commitment to your self-development. Because at exactly. times there's a psychological effect that when it's free, oh, I can always come back to it. But when, when you are investing, you don't even just look at it as paid. It's an investment in your self-development, in your career development, you know, in just the development of yourself, your skill set and your knowledge. And at times these people who have prepared these courses, you know, um, one of the resources I'm going to, mm. one of the YouTube channels I'm going to share they, they always say, like, your ideas are not free. You know, you can't just be giving away. To, to some extent, yeah, you give it for free. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's your commitment as well because you are also going to use this skill set, hopefully, to go on to make some money. So see it as an investment. How much is 50 pounds to 500 pounds? You know, so if you learn how to make a website and then you paid 50 pounds for the course, but then you make 500 pounds for your first, you, you've, you know, you've made that back. Time exactly. Spent. So, you know, one of the keywords I keep as, saying time as and again, and I think my friends are getting tired of me saying it's compound interest. You know, the greatest benefits in life come from 
the things that have long-term benefits. And so every year, you should sort of expect your life to sort of increase by a specific unit percentage, you know, which is compound interest. Whether that's skill, that's whether that's how much money you make in the long term, you should expect an increase. So compound interest, guys. But um, yeah, so thanks for that input. The last thing I'd like to sort of talk about is the tips for these, um, for learning to code. For me, my three main tips is number one, don't rush the process. Like just start don't try and rush. Like one of the things I used to do when I first started coding and learning these resources online is I would really try and go ham in one day and sort of like basically learn this content in one hour. I'd spend one hour, two hours, and then I'll just have like a brain freeze whereby I've put in too much content into my head and then I'm stuck. I've got a bug in my codes that I can't fix. So in the earliest days, I would say you should start off by basically, you know, learning for 30 minutes per day. And as you feel more comfortable, gradually increase it to, you know, 14 minutes or, or an hour or think about it 30 minutes per day for you know 365 you you'll definitely learn a lot you know i listen to one podcast for 30 minutes per day and i've definitely learned much more and i still want to learn much more so start off with 30 minutes per day or a number that's really good for you that you can dedicate to and increase it as you like um my second tip i would give is to find an accountability partner you know I have one of these, you know, in, in my list of friends, someone who I just always um, go through my goals with. And if I'm slacking in these goals, my friend basically, you know, checks me and tells me, how's this going? What's the plan? What's your next move? You know, having an accountability partner is really good because they ensure that you're on pace with what you're learning. And, you know, they'll actually keep you on track as to ensure that, you know, you're, you're progressing with what you're doing. They'll check on you. And yeah, so having an accountability partner, another tip I'll give is join a community. You know, as I said, the free code camp has a great community of developers who are willing to help you, who are willing to, you know, assist you with any programming issues you have, especially Stack Overflow. God bless whoever made that site, by the way, shout out to Stack Overflow. And um, the last piece of advice I would give is, is one that, everyone's probably heard me say in the last episode is have a motivation as to why you want to learn this programming language, you know, why you want to take on this course. So some of my motivations, for example, my motivation for learning Ruby on Rails was my final year project, basically. For my final year project, I, I really wanted to build an idea that I had in my book of ideas. And the way I motivated myself to, to basically accomplish this idea or build this project is to basically learn Ruby on Rails and say, this is what I'm going to build with it. So have a motivation. Find something that you want to build with the programming language you want to learn, whether it's a game, whether it's an app, whether it's a website, whether it's a blog. Find something that, that's an end goal that will push you to ensuring that you complete it. And that's a great way to learn programming. To actually, It's a good way to put the stuff you've learned into practice. And yeah, that's really all I want to say, to be honest. you know, Everyone is still learning in this game. So remember that no one's got it all figured out. If they said they have, then I, I don't believe it. Um, and yeah, last thing I'll say is MIT has a great free computer science course online as well that, you know, you guys should check out. And yeah, that's what I really want to say from my side. So good luck to everyone who's going to be, actually, I don't believe in luck. Um, hopefully it goes well to everyone who's, um, who's learned to program. And over to you, Brandon. Okay, um, so let's talk about UI <laughs> and UX. And seeing that we are not as rigid, <laughs> what do you mean rigid? Guys on the other side, mm, we don't really have course. a structure to this, but there, there is a structure for this. You know what I mean? Um, 
what was to start with, of course, um, well, Two Point already touched on a lot of the the resources, which you would actually be able to find things in there. So I knew that when we're doing this podcast, I was like, uh, the, some of the resources would apply to both. So I thought about it differently. So if you're thinking of learning UI yeah. or UX, so user interaction and user experience design, um, the first thing I would say is to go on YouTube, Google a guy called Jesse Shawwater. I'm trying to make sure I don't butcher his name. And he has a video on there. So first, that's his. So YouTube is obviously free. There's a lot of great channels on there, but there's these two I want to highlight because it's where I really learned the most from. Um, so Jess or Jesse, J-E-S-S-E, has this great video that breaks down the difference between UI and UX, what their role is in a project, where they fit in, for example, in a job. So if you are not quite sure where you, know, you want to go into, so I'll just break it down. So UI is more of, see UI as more of you're the painter, you're the artist, of an architect or a building that someone has built or someone is building. So if you're building an app, you'll be the one to tell us where, what the color pattern should be, how you want, you know, the, the users to, you know, to feel when they use your product. But if you're a UX person, which is user experience, which is different from user interaction, you're more of a researcher, you're more of a thinker. You're very analytical about how you design that product. So you're thinking, okay, if we use this type of typography, if we put, um, if we are going to make it a clustered design in the sense that we're going to have a lot on the page, or are we going to go minimalistic because this is how the user interacts with it? Um, you want to go out to the field and ask people, what do you think of this product? Uh, you want to be involved in the testing to see how the user interacts with the product. So you can take that information back, um, draw the wireframe, and then hand it over to the UI guy. Now, UI guys, you're going to be doing a lot with tools such as Photoshop, um, some Adobe products out there. Um, you'll be using things like, uh, what's it called? Um, mock mock flow to do your design pattern. Um, mockups so there's a website yeah so there's a website called mockflow where you can use to draw your wireframes so you'll be you'll be using a lot of tools and technologies while ux you might not even touch that a lot the the thing you would probably do the most is to draw a wireframe you know or draw a sketch you don't have to draw the final product that's what the ui so first thing is to watch jesse's video um and he also has a lot he also has a lot of videos there talking about um, designs for different type of websites, um, what the state of design is, how to prepare a portfolio as a designer, you know, all, all those type of little nuggets that really help you, you know, as a designer. The, the thing about learning um, UI and UX, in, in programming, you can just learn your hard coding until you get a project. In UX and UI, you have to actually do it as you're going along. So although there's a lot of, I'll say it's almost like 40% technical, 60% experience. And that experience only comes from like doing. So when you're creating a logo or you're creating a wireframe, 
you do it and then you, as Wato.0 talked about accountability partner, you show it to someone, get a feedback from them, take that back and then improve on it. And that is what, you know, these videos on YouTube help you do. Another channel on YouTube is called The Future. <laughs> and that's like one of the, it's basically free school. I'm just going to say that now. For anyone, if you've never heard of The Future, um, Chris Doe, who is the head of Blind Agency, which is a branding company, those guys have just put basically free, it's, it's a free university. And the, the best way, they, they don't just teach you in terms of theory. They're actually showing you um, projects that they've worked on, potential projects that they are working on. So you're, you're getting, to, and they would even review people's design. Wow. They even showed off their, their wireframe design uh, for their website that they were building and had someone talk through it and how they went about positioning things, how they went about colors. So in, it's not a heavily theoretical, but you get to just pick up life experience you know, from that channel, which you add to, to yours as well. But they do have like things whereby they teach you like principles of design and different things like that. So nice. those are the two main channels I will talk about on YouTube, um, which are free. Now talking about paid, and as I mentioned earlier about my views on paid, funny enough, I, I came across, um, was yeah. mid last year, I came across um, Reed, which is reed.co.uk. And I was just stunned at the mm. amount of courses. I think LinkedIn does it well. I used to think Reed was just for CVs, but they actually have some great courses. And best of all, some of these courses, are um, they have CDQ, Career Development Qualifications, attached to it. So you would have to sit an exam. So it's not just like I take the course, I paid £15 and I'm gone. No, you would have to sit an exam to get a certificate. And that's something that can actually go towards your CV. So if you don't have experience in that field, but you have a certificate to back up that you know what you're doing, it really goes a long way. So you want to look at something like read. And again, I would say watch the YouTube video so you get a better feel and idea for what you enjoy more. I used to think I was a UI person. And then I realized I was more of a UX person. Also because I just think Photoshop is a bit hard to learn. But I just enjoy you, yes, because I like talking to users and seeing just I'm intrigued at how they interact with a product. After everything that the designers and developers yeah. had in mind, a user would just like find some random button and you're thinking, how in the world did why did we not think about that? Because that just it's it's just fascinating to me. So I really enjoy that aspect of UX. And that's something you can find on read. Of course, you have things like Udemy. Um and things like that. But the, mention, the reason I mentioned Reed is for that CDQ qualification. Of course, you can go to Udemy. You can go to... Um, Treehouse, yes. The, the, is it Tree? I've yeah. forgotten the name now. Is it Tree? Treehouse and all those places. But mm. Reed, because it's different from the normal ones you would normally see, that's why I mentioned them. But the tool and tip I want to give outside of all of this is you're listening to a podcast right now they are actually podcasts about oh, UX yeah, and UI. Yeah. They are actually podcasts about these things. And you can actually, while at work or while walking, you can just, or on the bus, you can listen to these things and just think about, oh, okay, they talk about the state of design. There's a video that came out recently about um, seven huge um, new graphic design trends in 2019 by Will Patterson. He's also a YouTuber. Um, and then even Google, 
design.google. They have podcasts as well. They have articles and resources that you can learn from, you know. Um, so those podcasts are really, they are really useful. I listen to them. I even listen to YouTube channels at work and just have it play in the background. And they are talking about, you know, design patterns, methodology, your structure, um, design process, how you go about all these things, what to do first, what goes out, what to keep in mind. If you are making an e-commerce website, you know, there are certain things you would have to do in there as a designer, or do you want to completely flip the script and go? So listening to this podcast, that, and that's why I'm saying design is 40% technical, you know, and then 60% just experience and knowledge and creativity. And even in, in that being technical, it's also about the tools. So are you a Photoshop person? Are you a mock flow person? Are you a pen? Are you a, a pencil and paper as a designer, you know? Um, and also another resource actually I would put in is Instagram. There's um, UI.HQ is what I follow on Instagram. And also UI design patterns is what I follow on Instagram. And you get to see other people's work. It gives you inspiration. You pick up little techniques and you think, oh, okay, if I'm doing a wireframe, maybe I should add annotations or I might not need to overdo it and I can just use um, little uh, accents or at at tricks to highlight certain things. Um, in What's this? I keep forgetting the name. Oh, the one we used in uni for UI to show our UI design. <laughs> I keep calling them invoice. Shows you I like one. InVision is also another great tool. But so like I said, so learning UX and UI is 60% experience and doing it yourself, creating your own wireframes, slate sheets, um, your own wireframes, your own mock-up designs, and just send it to someone. If you think of a product and you can program it, you know, design it, you know, do some research. So that, that's, what, that's my tip I would give on if you want to learn UX and UI this year. Um, but definitely do see it as an investment in yourself. You are, at the end of the day, you see yourself as a business. You're, if you get a job, someone is paying you for the service you're providing. This is an investment in you as a company. You yourself, you are your company. You are your business. The things you do with your hands, your money makers, you have to invest in those things. You know, so yeah, best of luck. Let's have that culture of building things and sharing. You know, one of my key four keywords this year is create. Release, refine, repeat, repeat, repeat. So remember that. And also, just as a bit of motivation, I was watching a documentary about, um, I think, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. And both of these guys are like old people and billionaires, old billionaires. And the fact that they told me that they still do online courses to keep up with what's happening today in technology and investment like that just flabbergasted me. So if they're still learning with all the billions they have, like what's stopping us, you know? So knowledge is key. So yeah, all the best for everyone. Moving on to our tech in Africa segment. What are we going to be talking about in this segment, Brandon? Tell us. Okay, so two things we're going to touch on today. Is, so I was in Nigeria <laughs> recently. <laughs> of course, got to shift that in there real quick. Listen, guys, 
I'm moving back to Africa at this point. Like, I'm, I'm, my, my body, my spirit and soul is already there. I'm just letting you all. It's just my essence hasn't left yet. But my body, uh, no, my body is here. I mean, my body hasn't left, but my essence is gone. <laughs> like, I don't know you lost anymore. But while I was in Nigeria, I, I met someone and they were, she was telling me about her workplace. And she mentioned yep. um, a lady called Funke Opeke. And the funny thing is she didn't even mention the person first. She was just telling me what the company does. So Funke Opeke is, a, yeah. is the founder of Main, Main One. It's also known as Main Street Technologies. But the company in Lagos, in Nigeria, is um, a Main One. And they provide um, cable, data, talk, and other services to other businesses in Nigeria. So the person who works in the company was just telling me about the structure and how amazed she was when she got to the company and how everything was set up. And she was just talking about, and then she started mentioning things like Cisco and we provide data and talk. And so I was like, oh, what's talk? But mm -hmm. I understood talk because for us, talk is it's mobile and data is internet. So, but then I was just on that. So hold on, even the tech, terminologies and talking about the structure whoever started this must be an impressive so i was like oh who is who is the founder and she was like funka funka i was like i've heard that name turns out she was in yes. uh, what's it called tech crunch uh battlefield africa mm. and I, but I didn't even pay attention then it was more of a a glance because i followed tech crunch. So i was like oh battlefield africa oh, cool oh nice no, nigerians done so i didn't really look into it. but when i heard about the company i was like Okay, I am truly stunned. This woman has, and she's been in it for years because we're talking about entrepreneurship and how a lot of people, especially, in, let me not say a lot of people, the, the people around the circles I knew, mm. and in Nigeria, for example, they get their funding and that's it. That's what you hear in, in the tabloids, in the news. Yeah. Uh, the startup just got. $2 million yeah. funding, you know, and that's why it becomes like glamorized. Yeah. You know, the start, uh, this startup got $4 million funding. This one did this, this one got $25 million naira. Mm. But then after three, five years, they are nowhere to be found. So we're talking about people who've been through it and maintained and gone yeah, through like This woman has raised what, dollars. 200. We were going, yeah. you mentioned the number earlier. She was yeah. one of the first ones to put like cable. Is it underwater to bring the, the service to Nigeria? Like, she has been in it, but her name is not, fair enough, yes. She's known, on, she's known in the tech mm. scene in Silicon Valley. But your average mm. man who wants to be an entrepreneur, doesn't even know who this lady is. Doesn't know how long she's yeah. been in it. Doesn't know the sacrifices that she's gone through. You know, and that was what caught my attention, that she's been able to, to set up something like this. Yeah. I wouldn't say behind the scenes because it, it is based on the circles you move with, but without having to be in the limelight, mm. getting all the praises, she's actually built something that's sustainable, built a structure. I remember how the staff was telling me it went from a B2C company to a B2B company. That just tells you that if you've gone from one man wanting it to a whole company, to a whole mm. infrastructure needing your services, you're doing something right. Yeah, you know, and they they even work with um Cisco and those guys as well, provide data and all yeah. that type of stuff. So I think you you did some more research. 
yeah, thanks for providing that background as to sort of how you heard of her. And now I'm just going to provide a bit of context about Funke Okweke and basically how she started and what she does, basically. So Funke Okweke, she's dubbed as the person responsible for powering broadband across all of West Africa. She is the founder and CEO of Main One, formerly Main One Cable Company. Main One is West Africa's leading communication services and network solutions provider that built West Africa's first privately owned open access 7,000 kilometer capacity cable submarine. And, you know, it was a $240 million project that was completed in time. After that, she also went on to build West Africa's largest tier data center in Lekki. It was a 40 million pound investment. She's very experienced in telecommunications. She was an executive who returned to Nigeria in 2005 as the chief technology officer of MTN. After a 20 year career in the United States, um, prior to her return, she was the executive director of Verizon Communications Wholesale Division. And yeah, as you can see, she's, she's done so much. She obtained a first degree in electrical engineering from Obafemi Owolowo University in Ife, Ile Ife, Nigeria. And she has a master's degree in electrical engineering from Columbia University, New York. So as you can see, she has a plethora of experience and she's done a lot. Like she has done a lot of things in um, Africa for cable, telecommunications and more. I was watching TechCrunch Africa Battlefield and I was, you know, just listening to what she was saying and... They are planning on, you know, increasing and building a network more, you know, expanding it to other countries in Africa, like Cote d'Ivoire. And, and yeah, they're just developing new, new data centers as well in Nigeria, Ghana, and Cote d'Ivoire. So, yeah, this is an impressive woman. I won't say I'm shocked. You know, Africa's filled with greatness. I, I, I know that. But when you sent me this, um, this um, article, Brandon, and this woman, I was very astounded. So, yeah. Yeah, I think any time I see people like this, yeah. it it just reminds me that the dream is the dream is not even big enough. Yeah, because these were people who started when, in that time, you know, we didn't have this many resources and tools to do to do what they were doing. Absolutely. Actually, yeah. just to add on to what you just said, actually, funny enough, so I didn't talk about why she started and how. The motivation to start this company was the fact that um, Nigeria had a very low network usage or uh, internet usage and this basically motivated her to create a company that would basically allow better internet that would span across africa etc just add on yeah i mean even speaking about you know internet and data usage and even the article which we're going to segue into um we're having this talk in a group chat that i'm part of yeah and we're trying discussing why um there's a company uh, media 24 that closed down in and they are closing their offices in Lagos in Nigeria. And someone was asking, so why do we think? I think it's um yeah, Napspa Media 24, they they closed their all out X and property 24 offices mm. in Nigeria. Yeah. And we're just people were trying to discuss why and what they think, you know, the reason might be. And this would this is just a segue, and we're talking about like how um, they probably didn't do enough market research and geographical research to understand because the excuse that they were given was that 
Nigeria didn't have in, they didn't have a big um, online market in Nigeria, right. and which, to be fair, to some extent, it's fair enough because then we found out that there's data that says I think it was eighty uh, something million people were online, yeah. but being online in Nigeria is different than being online in the UK. Mm. And, it, and they did that research based on how many people subscribe, like how many people buy data mm. uh, a month. Yeah. This has a segue into what we're going to talk about. Well, I just want to read this um, infographic a little bit. So January 2018. Yeah. Um, so this is the share of web traffic by devices. So 16% of people use laptops, mm-hmm. um, which was a 3% increase from the previous year. Okay. Uh, 81% of people are on their mobile phone. And it's 3% on tablets, which is minus 10% from the previous year. Yeah. 0.01 use other means to get online. So like your PlayStation and all that type of stuff. Yeah. And then it goes to show on that the top ranking websites are (laughs) google.com, google.com.ng, of course. Of course. com, (laughs) YouTube. Facebook, Yahoo. Oh, oh, Yahoo, oh, oh, Yahoo, oh, oh, Yahoo, oh, oh, Yahoo. Eskimi, Jumia. Yeah, Jumia. And Vanguard.com. So when we're discussing about this company and saying that, you know, they didn't do their market right, because we're, we're going to, when we start talking about this article, you know why I'm mentioning this. Mm. You know, that they didn't do it, it actually showed that they actually understand the geographical landscape of Africa, mm. not just Nigeria, because Nigeria that, that's a whole the behavior pattern in Nigeria, as for users, it's so different from behavior patterns here. For example, yeah. in Nigeria, you wouldn't buy something online the same way you would buy something online here. Yeah, like me and you would go online, we see something, we buy it, there's a trust yeah. that is going to come. Nigeria, you see it. You go to the shop to buy. Yeah. In Nigeria, seeing is believing. Yeah. You know, so they don't quite have the same, you know, trust yet with the internet to mm-hmm. buy product. And also data is expensive in Nigeria, which is that's why I'm commending again Funke for what she's doing. Yeah. And to see where she started from. Because data yeah. is expensive in Nigeria. So I'm not going to spend my data to go. So most people subscribing data to go to to go to WhatsApp for communication, mm. Twitter for news, Instagram yeah. for business promotion, and th- those are like the three top like things that when I was in Nigeria and I I blew one point two was it one point five gig in like days? Wow! Because I, I forgot I'm not home. <laughs> <laughs> like, what were you doing with? I was like, oh, my little cousin started to watch YouTube and I just gave that. They're like, no. 1.5 gig should be able to last you for, for, for a month. Wow. Hmm? Do what? what? <laughs> I, got, I got my mail from GiveGav saying I used 94 gig of data last year, yeah. including Wi-Fi. And that was even me being conscious of using data last year. Wow. Then, so we're saying this to segue into an article that we read and we came across um, this article was by McKinsey. The, yeah, McKinsey. Let me not mock up their their name. 
And, you know, they're talking about Africa's overlooked businesses, um, business revolution. Yeah. And what actually attracted me, this was shared by Thrift. Um, yeah. As a quick plug, Thrift is a, a company that loans and educates small businesses on business finance. Let me just put it that way. Yeah. So they, they asked a question on Twitter, how many businesses do you think turn over one billion a year in Africa? My first thought was that, yeah, it won't be that many. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Okay. What's your number so that the, the listeners can sort of see how basically off we are? So my number was like maybe 20 to, to 50. What was yours? My, mine was 20 to 50 and I was like at a stretch. Yeah. 65. Because then yeah. I remember South Africa and Nigeria and then I remember that people get their funding in, in pounds. Yeah. Uh, foreign currency. So I was like, uh maybe but no it was i won't lie it was between that 20 mm. like max yeah that that 50 was max and the stretch was 60 mm. so i started reading the article and i love how the article begins by you know giving the experience about um them doing a presentation yeah and the the people in the board not understanding the landscape. They're like, there's two Congos mm. on the African map. You know, for even us, it just goes to show that we still have a lot to learn about this um, Africa growing market. But yes, the number for the amount of companies that turn over uh, 1 billion was 400. Yeah. Wow. Four, and I started thinking... How are there 400? I guess it even goes to show how naive I am, mm. you know, that I've probably not been looking in the right places because how are there 400 companies turning over 1 billion? Over one, and we're not talking 1 billion in their currency. Yeah. <laughs> we're talking $1 billion every year. It's mad. Every year, there's a company turning over, like, you know, and some of the infographics and, and data that this article shared, we'll, we'll put the link as well. Yeah. You know, talking about um, the, the gross domestic product for 2017 was more than $3 trillion. Wow. You know, and these are countries like um, Algeria, Nigeria, Sudan, Egypt, Angola, South Africa, were like the major, the major ones. Mm. You know, and I mean, it was this article was just just a, a, astonishing, and and they explained um, the infrastructures, places that we could see more growth, because um, the we have cities um, that are going to have more population, um, mm -hmm. residents population, um, in the coming years, because in 2015 Africa had only six cities with more than five million residents. But by 2030, Africa will have 17, mm. you know, including five with 10 million or more. And I bet you Lagos is the one that's going to have 10. Mm. I bet you. Because, but then at the same time, Lagos is just so congested. Jesus Christ, the traffic is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm telling you, that traffic is just, it's, it's, it's stupid. Yeah, I saw that photo you sent me. And even uh, one of the cities is Ibadan. Whoa. To five million. Shout out. You know, our, our plan of targeting it, but let's not even, <laughs> let's not be, <laughs> yeah. 
be looking in the right place. But yeah. what, what was your thoughts when you were reading through that? Like, I was just astounded. Not to say, not shocked about saying Africa can't achieve this this much success, but just shocked by the infographic, as you said. You know, like, the fact that there are already 122 million active users of mobile financial services in Africa. Like, wow. And the number of smartphone connections is forecasted to double from 315 million in 2015 to 636 million in 2022, twice the projected number in North America and not far from the total in Europe. Look, this is a big alert here to people who want to go back to Africa and start businesses. That means that right now, that app idea that you have about building, you know, in Africa, that mobile service you have that you want to build, you could go now and go build it. The, the number is about to double in 2022, which we're not even far away from. You know, there's a plethora of opportunities for businesses. As you said, you know, there's still industries that are lacking that they still need more innovation in Africa, you know, like um, retailing, they would like more technology companies and agricultural companies. Like these are opportunities that we could go and make an impact with. We have a great plan on how we will build these businesses and how we plan on them growing, you know, because one of the issues that they spoke about in this McKinsey article is that Yes, these companies are doing great, but some of them, the reason why some of them fail is that they don't have a growth strategy as to how they plan on growing in Africa. They don't have a, you know, a solidified, you know, a, a business model of how they would grow. So think about these things like now is the, is, actually yesterday was a, was a great time to, to go to Africa. Now, of course, this is a great time to go. So man, there is just so much infographic that, you know, half of the businesses that did well Half of them are based in, in South Africa, which, of course, you know, none of us should be surprised by. Another stat that I found interesting is, um, you know, 77% of SMEs contributed highly to employment in Africa. You know, startups have really been very integral in employing users, employing people and building local talent. Like, this is amazing, 77%. And not only that. Startups and SMEs, they've contributed hugely to the GDP in Africa. Um, you know, other stats that I saw that, you know, I can't even highlight in the podcast because there's so much, but these are the key ones. And I think, you know, without repeating myself too much, there's many more opportunities. I, think, I don't think Africa should be overlooked. Again, this is the reason why we have the tech in uh, Africa segment. I feel like, you know, we are focusing on tech in the Western culture too much and we're forgetting the opportunities that there are in Africa. And I think it's great that we, even though we're from or from UK, it's great that we can speak from it from this perspective. You know, we can only speak of what we see in articles and, you know, when we travel there. But yeah. this is a start for us as to how we can help and, you know, contribute and get this information out there to everyone else in, in the Western world. So, yeah, it, it was a great piece of article that we will share in the in the description and yeah you know and there's more big companies to come so like it's amazing that's the thing and also this just gave me more reason like why even going back to what we're sharing earlier about ux you know one of the things for users experience is to do is to do research on on the on your market and mm. but this just also shows just to look at we're, we're looking at for example nigeria where nigeria population of about 140 million um, as of what was it, twenty sixteen or twenty seventeen, uh, when the data came out, and eighty four percent, so um, eighty four million, so about fifty something percent is using is online. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. They are not even online properly yet. Mm. So that means 
if you're thinking, ah, because people don't use websites the way they use it here, I'm not going to build this idea yet. You have to think that actually data is going to become better and cheaper. Mm. So if you, start, if you start building what you want to build now, by the time the market even gets to you, you've laid the foundation. And mm. it's also vice versa in the sense that actually you can go now before the market blows up mm. and you can start learning and start building and to think that they're so, and then it, it's just, because one, we're not even talking about technology in, in uh, because a, a lot of this money came from, it started with um, finance technology, FinTech. Yeah. Then now agriculture is coming up, but it's not, it's not as big as FinTech yet. Com it was FinTech and communications were your two biggest thing mm. we're not talking about tech in and when we say in tech i mean like broad from softwares to applications to websites to data to um engineering yeah we're not thinking of sports which is a big thing in africa sports. we're not thinking of uh, uh so for example agricultural um logistics electricity and power yeah just when things are just think about the next 10 years yeah when things get better we, we could be like i strongly believe and i who knows i might be having that gary v moment when he predicted about twitter mm. but i strongly believe the next three to five years there's going to be a massive boom of data where data where a data scientist data analyst information analyst um people who can do um, data and Python, data and R will be so in so much demand because companies will start needing people in Africa who understand the geographic challenges in Africa to analyze Africa so that they can use that data to make smart business decisions. And that's coming back to what the article was saying about there not being, you know, like a solid, solid structure yet, which is why I was very... When, when Funke, you know, when the staff was telling me about working for that company, I was just like, oh, yeah, this is, this is out of the ordinary. Mm. Terminologies for terminologies we use. So I was like, okay, this person cannot be, they're Nigerian, but they probably, you know, they didn't do learn everything here. Yeah. And to think that it's not, like, it's not fully blossomed. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, that's Absolutely. What, so I'm just saying, like, if you sit at home, it's your choice. You can decide, you know what? Entertainment. Where in entertainment can I can I go into? Mm. Knowledge. Where where in in medicine, health? Yeah. Can I go? You know. So there, there's just so much that. Hundred percent. You know. You're talking about this stuff. You know. Nollywood is a is is a billion dollar market. You know. Um, I just read somewhere recently that you know what's her name Genevieve recently sold one of her latest films to Netflix for like what. 3.8 million, which translates to over a billion in, in Naira. You know, like... Um, the Lionheart movie. Yeah, I, I believe that's what it's called. You know, when we say technology, we're not just focusing on software, as you said. There's a plethora of other segments in technology, you know, data. You know, we're talking... Look, everyone's talking about how AI and machine learning is going to impact mm. the Western world, but how will AI and machine learning impact Africa? How can it be used? Like, let's use this this knowledge to think about how we could, you know, build the future of Africa with AI and machine learning. And, you know, how can VR, you know, me and one of my friends was talking, he was like, bro, like, you know, I'm not going to, you know, spur out what you were saying. He's like, there's a few things 
right now that aren't even being touched in education in terms of, you know, the experience side of things. You know, everyone's talking about software, but what about the experience side of things? And I was like, man, like, that's true. You know, and that's one of his goals to work on. So think about it. And the greatest thing about this article is it says that, yes, I'm not big on trends and stuff like that. But the fact that Africa, building a trendy, I won't say building trendy products, but building a product that has, that is basically booming in terms of market fit is great right now because there's not a lot of it. In the Western world, we have a lot of products like, you know, just eat, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, if you look at the ratio of the amount of products like that in the Western world compared to Africa, you'd see that the ratio was smaller. So obviously, because the ratio is smaller in Africa, you would want to build more of that. Do you see what I'm trying to say here? That don't look at it as being like, oh, someone's already created, you know, the Uber of, of, uh, of um, you know, Africa and Africa, even though I'm not a fan of saying I'm going to build the U of this and that, but what I'm saying is there's an opportunity for you to look at how you can impact that space even further, you know, ways in which people in the Western world haven't figured out, you know, so there's, there's just so much opportunity. And, you know, I would just like to end off what I'm saying by basically this article is given some, some advice as to how to win in Africa. And I'm just going to cover a few of them. You guys could go on to read the rest and read more about it, but there's four ways, basically. So the first one is to map your Africa strategy. There's ways in which you could do that. Set a clear aspiration for growth. Prioritize the markets that matter most. Define how you achieve scale and relevance. You know, the next step is to innovate your business model. Create products and services that fulfill Africa's unmet needs. You know, as I've been saying, rethink your business model to truly engage with customers. That's very key. Speak to your customers. Get lean to drive down cost and price points. Obviously, as Brandon mentioned, you know, the cost of data in Africa is very different to the cost of data here or in Western worlds. Build resilience for the long term. Take a long term view and ride out volatility. So basically, you know, long term views, like don't just say, OK, I'm just going to go and start something now and say, it's, it's trendy right now so i'm gonna do it like look at the long-term view with ai and vr and all that stuff um diversify to build a balanced portfolio integrate up and down your value change uh chain i should say and last is to unleash africa's talent so you can unleash africa's talent by doing these three things uh build vocational skills for frontline workers create robust processes to grow talent from within and harness the power of inclusion, particularly women's advancement, which, you know, I really like. So, yeah, I think that's a great way for us to end this podcast. And, you know, we're going to link the article below. Was there anything else you wanted to add, Brandon? No, that was it. That was perfect. Brilliant. So um, thanks again for listening to this week's podcast. Um, expect to hear our next episode next week or, or so. Yeah. So thanks for listening. Peace. Good luck, guys. Happy New Year.